1: Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald-Times. Mary Catherine Carmichael's out of town, couldn't be with us today, but uh, I have three guests with me in the studio, and we're going to be talking about the uh, danger of concussions in sports, particularly in high school sports. Uh, joining me in the studio are uh, these three gentlemen, Scott Lawrence, president of the Indiana Athletic Trainers Association. Scott uh, teaches at the University of Indianapolis. Uh, Matthew Reeves is a sports medicine physician with IU Health, and and um, Scott Schrader is here. He is a physical therapist for rehabilitation and sports medicine uh, center at IU Health as well. Uh, if, if you have uh, questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. You can join the live chat that we have going on at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition. You can also follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. And I should add, Matt, Matthew Reeves is uh, a sports medicine physician with IU Health and Southern Indiana Physicians. So I left off a little bit of your title. That's what I thought there. <laughs> That's right. Well, thanks a lot for being here. I really uh, appreciate it. Um, the uh, The idea or the 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 issue of concussion seems to have really sort of burst forth in the last several years. I'm sure it's always been with us, but with uh, I think there's just been a lot more news. Uh, of the topic, and also the state, uh, the legislature passed a, a law requiring school sports coaches to inform players of concussion risks and and to uh, take players out of the games if they suspect that they may have concussion so that that law went into effect on July first of two thousand and eleven so we have it 's a topical show today so let 's just sort of start with some background I guess i 'll go to you first, Scott, just to talk about you know why this issue has sort of developed so much over time. I think you're right on in the sense that there was a lot of media. Um, we've
2: seen some NFL players, some high-profile professional athletes. And I think that kind of started the ball rolling. Um, but where the concussion laws really came from, in 2006, there was a young man um, in Washington State by the name of Zach Leistat. Um, he suffered a concussion during a game, the first half. Um, he felt better, put him back in the game in the second half. Following the game, uh, He collapsed. They took him to the emergency room. Um, He had to go into emergency surgery, had both parts of his skull operated on, and essentially uh, pulled back, removed to alleviate pressure on the brain. Um, After that, he he suffered numerous strokes, spent seven days on a ventilator, spent three months in a coma. After waking, you can imagine his life was kind of irrevocably changed. Uh, He spent four weeks in a nursing home, followed by two more months in a children's rehabilitation hospital. It was 13 months after that before he was able to move an arm or a leg. He spent 20 more months on a feeding tube. And it was nearly three years before Zach would stand on his own two feet again, and that was with assistance. That was the primary factor that kind of spurred this concussion law thing. His parents were very much involved in spurring that on. And in 2009, Washington State um, signed into passed the first law related to concussion. Since that time, there are 38 states— including and in addition to the District of Columbia as well as the city of Chicago that have passed concussion laws. There's a, a 39th state, Wyoming, also has a law, but it's it's a little bit different in the way it's set up. They don't even really consider it a concussion law as far as some of the, the legislators mm-hmm. <laughs> consider. And there are six more that have legislation pending, and there are five that have
1: no pending and no law whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So this, just going back to the beginning of this, so, so Zach Leistad was in the game. Mm-hmm. Got hit, was taken out of the game, and then he was cleared to go back in. Right, right, and, and the, that clear- was after the game.
2: But- and, and, and the clearance process was very different. And, and we were talking off air that the the standards have changed. The the evolution of concussion management and identification has substantially changed in the last three to five years. Mm-hmm. But at that time, they they used to say even. No, probably, you guys correct me too if I'm wrong, five, six years ago, is if your Mm -hmm. symptoms cleared within 15 minutes, you were allowed to go back in the game. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter age, professional, college, high school, younger. And and I'm sure that was the the kind of the protocol at that time that was used there. He said, I'm fine. I feel good. I just got my bell wrong, Mm -hmm. as they used to say. That is a concussion. He was sent back in. And and from there, like we say, the rest is history. So So
1: how has that changed, Matt? How's that changed
3: at this point? In terms of what's required to get back? Yeah. To, uh, mm-hmm. Dramatic. Uh, essentially, it's any any symptom that is uh, uh, suspicious of a concussion, uh, the athlete needs to be removed. Uh, no questions asked and, and no return until those symptoms have cleared. Uh, now, if uh, an official uh, notices a player being a little off or maybe another teammate in the huddle or out on the soccer field or wherever it might be, uh, says, hey, I think Joey's got an issue, and, and then the, the coach looks at him and says, hey, athletic trainer, please come here and, and assess. If the athletic trainer looks at him and they really got the wind knocked out of him mm-hmm. and they said, and it wasn't a concussion, then that, they can still return to the same game. But once they determine that the, a concussion is a legitimate concern, they are removed from the game and for the rest of that day – the next day, uh, they start the process of, of um, being cleared to return to sport. They go through a formalized uh, concussion uh, uh, protocol. And, and every organization has their own protocols. Most of us are very similar now because of this new law. Uh, but uh, the ultimate return has to be by a physician at that point. And it's best if it's by a physician that's um, uh, certified in, in impact testing or concussion management. Mm-hmm. Okay, so and there's a lot of details in there to, to, to get into. So, <laughs>
1: okay, that's
4: a, that's a brief.
1: Now, Scott Lawrence, you're uh, president of the Athletic Trainers Association. <laughs> so, you're uh, do you are, do you spend time on the sidelines during? Uh
4: not as much as i used uh-huh. to yeah uh-huh. most of my time is spent in the classroom and in the clinic yeah so what would your what would
1: your role be on the sidelines so I mean, if you're an athletic trainer on a football sideline or a soccer sideline what would it, what would
4: it be well it, when you're talking about sideline uh, medical management we're part of a team it's not just the athletic trainer out there it's the athletic trainer with the team physician with the athlete managing the entire situation you know, an athletic trainer who is involved in an injury situation on the field is responsible for triaging that injury, determining if emergency uh, management is necessary. If it's not, bringing them back into the the uh, sideline for further evaluation. If it's a concussion, th- that's where we are determining are there symptoms, and if there are, just as you know was just mentioned, it's our responsibility to remove that athlete from uh, the competition. Mm-hmm. So, what would
1: symptoms be? I mean, if a if a player is is down.
4: Yeah, there are so many symptoms. (laughs) There are a lot of different symptoms that we can talk about. Some of the symptoms are emotional. Mm -hmm. Um, Players tend to get irritable. Uh, Some will get sad. Some will uh, lash out. Uh, Some of the symptoms are physical headache, nausea, vomiting, uh, difficulty with vision. Uh, Some of the symptoms uh, relate to sleep. And, you know, that's not something we're obviously going to see at the uh, incident of injury. That might be something the next day. They come in and they report sleep problems. So there's just a, a ton of different symptoms and, you know, someone might come in the next day and say, I have this weird symptom, my left uh, ear is burning. Mm-hmm. And I might say, that sounds like that could come from a concussion. Mm-hmm.
1: All right, our phone numbers are 855-0811, 877-285-9348. The web address, WFIU.org slash Noon Edition and you can also follow us on Twitter at noon edition. We're talking about concussions today. So I think anybody who's watched a football game, it it seems like in every football game there's a play or two or three or more where a player, as as Scott said, gets his bell rung. When you can see a guy sort of stumbling toward the sidelines. I mean, how that would seem to be a pretty uh, dramatic indication that there might be a concussion to me. I mean, how often is that the case? Because a lot of times those guys do go back in the game.
4: Well, I was going to say, yeah, I mean, you do see that happen. But there are so many different mechanisms that can cause a concussion. It can be the big explosion hit that we mm-hmm. see. And, you know, right or wrong, we we oftentimes celebrate that. You see, you know, the hit of the week, uh, which, you know, I, I personally disagree with. But it can, it can also occur head-to-head contact in soccer. It can occur head-to-ground contact. It can be rotational mechanisms. There's so many different ways that you can... Get a concussion. It's not just the big hit, and you know I think one of the really interesting things that has come out in the last year or two is the research out of uh, uh, West Lafayette, which is dealing with sub-concussive blows. These are very minor hits that accumulate over time, and these kids are developing concussion-like symptoms.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would, I would add another thing to that, too. They've done some research that shows, kind of like Scott said, it's not always the, the magnitude or the amount of force that's leading to the concussion. They're finding a lot more, it's the angle of the blow. So when you see someone like a running back that takes a hit that looks very light, but you see them get up and they're stumbling around, a lot of time it's the direction of the blow. And we talk about, you always feel like, well, they have Have their helmet on how come they couldn't withstand that helmets initially were designed you know in the early days to protect against skull fracture or or more substantial catastrophic death related injuries they weren't specifically designed to protect against concussion they're currently doing research looking at redesign to see if there's a way they can minimize that effect. And, and certainly, like you said, you know, the stumbling athlete, that's the, that's the one you feel like, oh, they probably have a concussion. Mm-hmm. But it's the ones that are a lot more subtle that we really need to worry about catching on. Somebody that consistently lines up a yard or two off where they're supposed to every play. Mm-hmm. It's those subtle things sometimes that show up. They're not, they're not thinking right. They're not performing right. We, those are the things that we need to really work on training ourselves to look for. Yeah. Next
3: day in class being tired. Exactly. Something as simple as that. Mm-hmm. I,
2: my eyes, I can't focus right. Uh, the, eye, the light is bothering me. Just little things like that that we always look at to
1: reevaluate after the fact as well. S- so with Indiana's new law, I mean, can, can you sort of explain how things, how that's changed things in in this area? So it was July 1st of 2011 went into effect. So it's been about a year. I mean, how how'd that really changed things on the ground?
2: Um, here, actually, the law went into effect July 1st, 2012. Oh, okay. so, so it's very right. recent. In this area, and Scott can speak that a little bit more up in Indianapolis, his area, we actually um, had done all those same things before the law was enacted. We were really trying to be proactive in this area, and we've implemented all those things that are in the law beforehand. So we felt really, really confident um, in, in our in our process and our protocol for handling concussion. But overall, you know, it's one of those things that, it, like, it's kind of common sense. You say, really, do we need a law that tells us to do that? But, But the fact is, it has broad awareness. We're doing radio shows like this. We're getting articles in the paper because of the law, which brings more awareness to
3: the community to understand why it's important. It's not just awareness. It's also now we get more support out of coaches and, and parents. Uh-huh. So as, as providers and, and the athletic trainers, they get the backing now uh, that, hey, this is serious. Uh, we need we need to take this uh, um, very very seriously was there was there a situation would you would you say and you know i'm sure there
1: it's probably there are individuals who are like this and some who aren't where perhaps you know it's a really good player who comes wobbling off the field and the the coach or the athletic trainer – I hate to say that, and there might be a trainer that's a bad apple out there somewhere (laughs) – would say, well, you know, if if we don't let this kid go back in the game, whatever sport it is, it's going to hurt our chances to win, so let's get him back in there. I mean, is that something that was happening more before this law went into effect?
3: All the time. Really? Yeah.
1: Yeah. All the
4: time. I think that that's one of the reasons for the law. Um, As Scott mentioned, the law doesn't really – it's not changing what we do. It's not changing how we manage it. It's certainly bringing awareness. Where it might be changing things is, is in those outlying communities where they don't have medical professionals on the sideline at every event. Mm-hmm. That's where this is, is changing. And what it does is it gives uh, some guidance on if there is a symptom, you pull the person out. No questions asked. That's the that's the law, mm-hmm. and what it does from a coaching standpoint is we say, "Sorry, coach, that's the law. We our hands are tied." Mm-hmm. It tells the parent up in the stands yelling, "Hey, put my son or daughter back in the contest." I'm sorry, they have a symptom of a concussion. My hands are tied. It's the law. Mm-hmm. That's the big change, I think. Mm-hmm
1: alright eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight. 877 855-081-877-285-9348. You can join a live chat at WFIU.org slash noon edition. You can also follow us on Twitter. At and in addition, I uh, want to remind you of who our guests are today. We have two Scots, so I'll probably get them. You, know, you, you might get them confused out there. I know who they are. They're sitting <laughs> in here. Uh, Scott Schrader is a physical therapist for rehabilitation and sports me- the Sports Medicine Center at IU Health. And I York, might
2: I might add to Bob. I, I'm a certified athletic trainer like Scott, okay. do, so I do
1: some sideline work. He and I are both kind of dual-credential. We just okay. walk okay. in a little different circles. <laughs> All right. And the other right. Scott, Scott Lawrence, uh, president of the Indiana Athletic Trainers Association. Uh, and he also trains future trainers as a teacher at uh, the University of Indianapolis. And Matthew Reeves, a sp- sports medicine physician with IU Health and Southern Indiana Physicians, is here with us. We're talking about this topic. I know that football is one of the areas that everybody thinks about, but but it's not the only sport uh, by far where concussions are, are fairly common. What what are what are the other sports that are of particular, I guess, uh,
3: concern? When we, Matt? When we, when we look at oh, – oh, go sorry. ahead, Matt. I, I think that uh, for women uh, or girls in high school, it's soccer. Mm-hmm. It seems to be very prevalent. Also, in practice time, cheerleaders and volleyball players. Uh, you don't think about it, but volleyball players uh, get, get hit. Uh, that ball comes pretty hard at times. And, it, and again, it's the angle of the blow. Uh, as much as it is the, the big hit. Um, certainly any boxing or martial arts, those are, are definite uh, concerns because they're, they're contact sports without uh, headgear. Uh, hockey and, and football for, for men as, as well as soccer for both uh, sexes. Mm-hmm. Well, would one of you describe a concussion? Well, I mean, what
1: sort of define it. What is a Concussion?
2: I got a concussion, In this I'm going to give you the, the medical words first, okay. then we'll clear that up a little okay. bit. Um, concussion's been defined as a pathophysiological process that affects the brain, and it's induced by traumatic or biomechanical forces. Essentially what that means is that you have a blow to the head, the nerve function in the brain is disrupted. And I think that's an important thing to remember because, you know, a lot of times we talk about, well, let's do an MRI or a CT scan. Those type of images are used to determine a structural problem. This is not a structural problem in the brain. This is a metabolic or a nerve problem. So, so that's one of the things that I think the current research is really trying to help us determine. Are, are there better imaging tests? They're looking at developing tests that can help us identify a concussion. Because when we go, Scott described the symptoms earlier, that's really what we have to go on a lot of times to determine a concussion. Mm-hmm. And I would add to the sports stuff, too. You know, like you said, I I can't emphasize enough concussion occurs in every sport. We've had four or five swimmers over the last couple of years that have had concussions, either from going into a turn or different Mm -hmm. things like that, hitting a wall. Mm -hmm. And it can can occur by a direct blow, but it can also occur a stick to the head or falling on the ground and hitting your head on the ground. It doesn't have to be just the head. It can be a forceful blow to the body that the brain kind of sits in a – in a, in a big liquid shell, so to speak, and it sloshes around in there. So if you get hit, it might slosh to the front, hit the front of the skull, slosh to the back, hit the back. And so you, you're, you're getting that brain injury,
1: even though it's not a direct
3: blow to the head. Okay.
1: Well, I, yeah, I guess I hadn't thought of that. So
2: It's
3: kind of a whiplash
1: effect. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think I've heard before it's like, is it a bruising of the brain in some way? Is it?
3: It is. It, it, you know, when you talk about that metabolic uh, uh, pathology or, or, or trouble, basically there's an injury... Uh, take like a sprained ankle. You have an injury. That body, uh, that area of the body needs increased blood flow. Well, the brain doesn't get that, yet it has an increased need for its uh, glucose and other nutrients to heal. So when we're symptomatic, we're at a very precarious state for a re-injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's where a lot of this comes in. So what
1: what happens? I mean, when when there is uh, when there are symptoms of a concussion, and a, a player is in whatever sport has said, well, you you, know, you got to sit this one out. And then how do you determine you know when it's safe for the
3: player to go back in? There's there's basically a six step process, and I'll let one of these two gentlemen uh, go into <laughs> it in detail because they really they really manage it with the oversight of the physician. So. Mm-hmm.
2: I think where we a lot of times start is kind of before a concussion occurs. We try and do some sort of baseline testing. Mm-hmm. So um, many of your listeners, and Bob, you may have also heard of, of the, impact tests. Mm-hmm. the impact test. The impact test is a neurocognitive assessment, they call it. It's computerized. And essentially it's used, you know, to kind of measure um, what their symptoms are, their memory, how well they, they're able to remember things, both visually and verbally, and also look at their reaction time processing speed and so forth. So as many kids as we can get, we try and do a baseline before the season starts and then educate. Now, getting back to directly what you asked, the concussion has occurred. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to pull them out of play. The next thing that we're going to do is we're going to kind of look for when their symptoms have cleared. The the hallmark treatment initially is rest. And we, we always call it cognitive as well as physical
3: rest. And to that end, I would say not just pull them out of play, but we pull them out of school. Exactly. And that's another step that's taking this a whole other level is that we got to get teachers on board and parents on board to support this because any any screen time, any loud music time, any time when they have to read for focus and concentration, uh, texting and video gaming, Mm -hmm. these are all things that are taxing the brain and you're not resting it when you're doing those things. Mm -hmm. So not only is it just not putting Joey back out on the practice field—it's taking him out of the classroom, and he has to have reduced workload. And and for the first, you know, until they clear up their symptoms, they gotta have absolute rest. Mm-hmm. So. Now, I'll let you go back to your next step.
2: <laughs> yeah, but, but, and that's, that's exactly right. I mean, and, and I think that's the thing that had always kind of, it's really evolved a lot more over the past couple of years. So, what we do is we, we try to do like a graded or a graduated return to activity. So, they might say you can go back to the classroom for two hours today, then you need to come home and rest. And then gradually building that back up to a full day, we do the same thing with the physical exertion. Um, what we do is we run them through, eh, it's probably about a six-step program. So, we'll do it with, um, as soon as they're symptom free, cognitively and physically, just at Rest, then we begin to initiate with physical exertion. So we might just do light activity. We might get them on an exercise bike for five, ten minutes, do some light act, other activities, and then we're going to ask them, Do you have symptoms? And what, to progress to each stage, they have to be symptom free for 24 hours to move through each stage, gradually working to more intense activities, sport specific activities. The second to last phase would be then to participate in a full practice, full contact, normal practice without symptoms. Once they've been able to accomplish that, Then we're going to maybe have them following the law and the guidelines. Now we're going to have them have a written clearance by a physician. And and I can't can't emphasize enough um, that these are not ors in between each of these statements. These are ands. So I always say what we look at to clear someone to go back is they have to have no symptoms at rest and they need to have no symptoms with physical exertion or activities and – their neurocognitive testing needs to be at baseline, or if they didn't have a baseline, to have it compared to a norm, that it's, it's returned to a normal, and they need to have written clearance um, from, a, from a physician or a, a healthcare care provider um, that clears them to go back. And I always say those are ands because sometimes even the physician may see them early, clear them to go back, all of a sudden symptoms reappear. That's another thing with concussions. These right. things come and go. Mm-hmm. So we may have to pull them back even though there is a clearance. We're going to have them see
1: physician again and, and have them be re-cleared. Mm-hmm. Now we have a, a one of the people in our live chat um, ask about driving and concussions. That you pull them out of school, you, they don't play sports, but is it safe for them for a young person to drive? Scott?
4: Yeah, I, I think most physicians are going to agree that they would rather see that person not uh, drive while they are uh, having symptoms. Once the symptoms uh, subside, once they're at their normal baseline throughout the day and their activity level has been built, then they can uh, work their way back into driving. But initially, uh, we don't want them to do that. Mm-hmm.
2: And that goes back to those things we test with the baseline, reaction time, speed yeah. of thought right. and cognition. That stuff right. is so important with driving, not to mention just the physical activity of manipulating the car itself. But, but I absolutely agree with Scott,
3: mm-hmm. too. Any, any time that you tax the brain in any way, including driving, uh, where you have to be focused on what other drivers are doing, what the lights are doing, and, and, and uh, handling the vehicle. Reaction time's down, but if you're taxing the brain before the brain is, has become symptom-free, what you're doing is you're retweaking that sprained ankle. It's just mm-hmm. going to take longer to heal. This process is not uh, conducive to everyday life. It's, it's, a, it's cumbersome. Cool. It's, uh, it's Absolutely. In, in inhibiting to uh, life. And it creates uh, difficulty on those around you that now you need to find a ride. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, no driving.
2: And, no and driving. it's hard for people to be compliant with that. I mean, you can imagine. Very difficult. You know, we mm-hmm. tell people, you know, that first you need to go home. You need to turn the lights down. You need to not read. You need to not do video games. You are not text, talk on the phone, and be in a low-light environment. Well, <laughs> I, I would – I mean, that would be very difficult for me yeah. to tolerate that for any amount of time, much less –
0: In modern day, yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, that's just not how we live our lives in this day. But that's so important early on to to, uh, facilitate the
1: healing process. Now, we're going to go to a break in a minute. But before we do, I want to ask about the baseline test because you guys all sort of said that, you know, as, uh, you know, sports – physical therapists, sports medicine docs and – trainers that the fall season, when everybody, all these kids are coming back and you're getting people checked out with their physicals and everything, it's like tax time for an accountant. Um, is this baseline test now part of the physical for athletes who are
3: playing, or is this something additional? Not, not uh, specifically part of the physical. It hasn't been made as part of a requirement of the physical. However, uh, and I guess Scott or, or Scott here could, could better answer Um, Through a grant, uh, there's an organization called the Athletes Concussion Alliance, and we're able to offer free baseline testing to any athlete, really. And so with the organization down here in Bloomington I can speak to, uh, uh, Scott Schrader here has done a great job with organizing, testing, all the way down to middle school kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we're, we're doing middle school, we're doing high school, we're doing every sport, uh, we're doing any club sport where people request it. Uh, so baseline testing, it takes about 20 minutes a test. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, yeah.
2: It, it, it is time-consuming. That I think that's why it's not directly linked with the high school physical. Oh, okay. It's more an issue of practicality. What you need to do is you need to get them into a computer lab. We have them sit in front of a computer. So you can imagine when you have here locally in the Bloomington schools, they'll run you know, 300 kids through physicals to have 300 computers and in a quiet environment to be able to focus, it becomes difficult. What we typically try to do is focus on those higher
1: risk sports first and then tear down. Hopefully, we can capture everybody. Right. Okay. Well, we're going to take a, a short break. We're talking about concussions and the problem of concussions with uh, high school athletes uh, in particular, but with all athletes. Uh, we have three guests with us uh, in the studio, and we're going to get back to them after this short break. You're listening to Noon Edition.
5: This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. You can take WFIU with you by downloading podcasts directly to your PC, Mac, or MP3 player. Programs such as Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, and short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, and Play and Opera Reviews are all available on demand. Pick them up at wfiu.org.
1: Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg, editor of the Herald-Times, and uh, Mary Catherine Carmichael could not be with us today, so I'm doing this this show solo uh, with the exception of three great guests, which uh, makes my job a lot easier. Uh, We're talking about concussions uh, in sports, particularly high school sports. We have Scott Lawrence, the president of the Indiana Athletic Trainers Association, Matthew Reeves, sports medicine physician with IU Health and Southern Indiana Physicians, and Scott Schrader, who's a physical therapist. He's an athletic trainer. Uh, He works for uh, the Rehabilitation and Sports Medicine Center at IU Health. If you want to join us, please call us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. You can join a live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon You can even follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So if you have questions, I mean, if you, this is a very serious topic. And if you're a parent out there or uh, someone who's uh, you know worried about their, their youngster playing uh, football, soccer – Even swimming. uh, Please feel free to give us a call. Right before we went to the break, we had a uh, a question on our live chat about whether the law covers middle school and club sports. So, uh, Scott Lawrence?
4: Yeah. The law actually does not cover uh, middle school uh, athletes. At at this point, the coverage is only applied to high school athletes. And that just goes back to the language that's written into the law. It does apply to high school club sports, and you know, I, I believe it's written in there as intramurals or, or um, so it's not, it doesn't say club, but it, essentially, as long as a sport or an athlete can be directly tied to a school, the law does apply to that individual.
1: Okay. Well, thanks for that answer. We have two phone calls now, so uh, let's go to Stan on the phone. Stan's first.
5: Hi. I, I tuned in late, so you may have already covered this, but with the law, uh, what sort of legal relationships are there established for parents uh, who commit their children to the
1: sports? Anybody? Scott?
2: I, I'm not sure how to address uh, exactly what you mean by a legal relationship. Um, I guess there's an obligation on the, on the part of the parent. Um, the law states that part of what we have to do or the schools have to do is provide education information to the parent and or guardian of a given athlete, um, they need to read that information. Then what they do is they sign a form that acknowledges the fact that they they have received that information, and then they have to sign that they understand the information as given, and that acts then as a permission to participate in athletics. And the schools, they're required to do that. If that form is not signed, that athlete is not allowed to participate in sports. Does that answer your question, Stan?
1: Yes. Yes, it actually covers it exactly. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, Stan. Thanks a lot for the call. 855 877 285 9348 and that's outside of the Bloomington area. And you can join the live chat, wfiu.org slash noon edition, or follow us on Twitter at noon edition. So we're going to go to Sandy next. Sandy?
0: Hi. I had a concussion about three weeks ago, and I had a CT scan, which showed no damage, I did have some symptoms early on, like I just found it hard to read, and I'm a a big reader, so that's important to me. But now, I mean, the neurologist now has said, no, it's important for you to be stimulating your brain and reading, doing crossword puzzles, this kind of thing. So I'd like to know your take on this.
1: All right. Scott Schrader?
2: That's a great question. There's a lot of the research right now shows that there's kind of a time window as to when Early on, status post concussion, all inter, inter, um, being exposed to all those things actually negatively influences the healing process. But after a certain point just like anything else, it does actually stimulate brain healing. The hard part that they're finding in the research is exactly where that time window opens and where that time window closes. I, I was researching for a talk I did um, earlier this spring, and that was one of the things that came up, and that was a question that was, it was asked specifically. A lot of times what they'll say, in the, even in the literature, is that an injury continues to occur for up to three days post the initial insult. So certainly you want to avoid those things during that time. Usually we talk about reintegrating those things once symptoms have cleared at rest. Then you b- can begin to do that. And that's kind of what I was talking about, reintegrating school mm-hmm. activities. It's just that it's not an all or none. I'm going to start. I'm going to read for 15 minutes, put the book down, go away. Mm-hmm. Mm, I didn't have any increased symptoms. Now you can start to add those things here and there, and that will
1: help the healing all process. Right. Now, Dr. Matt Reeves is not a neurologist, but what would you tell your patient in a case like this?
3: Well, it, you said your uh, concussion was three weeks ago? Yes.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. And you're and still. I did, violate, I, I, I did. I mean, I went to church the next day, sang in the choir. I read. I did violate what you're saying. Yes,
2: you did. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, I think that uh, you know, if you're still symptomatic at a, at a three-week time frame, um, you know, that, as Scott mentioned in the research, you know, they're they're trying to find that arbitrary window when do you start to stimulate the brain, but. I think that that's where, uh, as a primary care sports doc, I would be referring you to a neurologist and um, in, in deferring to their opinion. Uh, initially, the, the, the treatment is is um, more in my realm, but uh, the thing we worry about when you start going out three weeks is this this enigma called post-concussive syndrome, and there's not a whole lot known about it, and there's not a lot of great treatment for it. So you're kind of in a in a in a, a teetering area, I would still advocate uh, you know like any other injury. If it's injured, um, you've got to you've got to rest it and then rechallenge it slowly. Uh, it's like any any athlete that's in a return to running program, uh, so to say. You know you don't take a marathoner and, and knock them out and then tell them you know they had a, a ruptured Achilles and then. You know, three weeks later, you just say go run another marathon. Once they're healed, you you start them out slow with a run walk program like anything else. So, I think that it's it's a case by case basis there. Most most uh,
2: concussion symptoms the research shows resolve within seven to ten days. That, that's kind of the standard. As soon as you're you're into symptoms longer than that. Then, like uh, Dr. Reeves said, that's the time to get additional medical help. We're we're in the process here in Bloomington of uh, developing what we're calling a community concussion program, not just thinking athletes, but people are in car accidents. Different things happen. Um, We're working on developing some physical therapy-type protocols as far as uh, vestibular treatment as well as helping with a guided program as far as reintegration of activities. Uh, And like Dr. Reeves said, that's kind of where that next phase of that research is really going to go is to determine... What besides rest can we do, and when do we do it to help the healing process? Yeah,
1: now, Sandy, we've been talking about that's high school part. athletics, but you don't sound like a high school athlete to me.
0: No, I'm <laughs> from a high school athlete.
3: Okay,
0: person. Yeah, no, I'm older. I'm, oh. a, I'm a senior. Oh, okay.
3: But <laughs> well, that's a good point that uh-huh. concussions happen in all walks of life, all ages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. All right. Anything else, Sandy? Oh,
0: well, thank you. No, hey. I, I guess. <laughs> I'm basically symptom-free. I guess I'll just take it slowly. And um, I notice some things, but not a lot.
3: And listen to your neurologist.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, he's the one that told me to go ahead and and stimulate it. All right.
1: (laughs) Well, good luck with those crosswords. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thanks. All right. Bye. Our phone number is again, 855-0811, 877-285-9348. slash Noon is our uh, web address. And you can also go to follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. You know, I, I've i never been a soccer player, um, but I'm always struck by the fact that the head is used so much in soccer. You know, it's a, it's a major part of the game and it would seem to me that 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 could
3: create a lot of potential for concussions, right? Absolutely, but but that goes back to the angle of the blow being uh, more significant than the actual blow. Uh, The the frontal uh, um, um, skull bone there is is thicker, stronger and able to handle that that impact so if they're heading correctly, if they're doing it the way that they're taught uh, it, it should not cause as as much of a difficulty, although there are certainly cases where you still start getting concussive syndromes and and things like that after especially prolonged careers, but it's the hits on the side of the head, uh, in the back of the head that are more uh, significant. A, a lighter blow can take it can cause a, a worse condition. So no, I, I would you know, just
1: think that you know athletes at the lower levels in particular are. You know they're taught to do it a particular way, but you're taught to shoot a basketball a particular way, or yeah, or right. you're taught to taught to run in a particular
3: way, and not everybody can do that. It would seem right. like that would be a pretty dangerous thing. But well, and I think just, that there are there are certain things in in uh, group sports, and maybe Scott, you can better answer this about they're not allowed to head until a certain age. It's called a header in soccer, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and and they're not allowed to start teaching it until a certain age and things of that nature. So I'm not. I'm uh, sure in the specifics, but...
4: Yeah, I, I don't know that I can add further to that because I'm not aware of, uh, of exactly when that process starts. But, you know, when we look at our younger athletes, they are less skilled. It does take repetition. The problem is it, while you're undergoing that repetition to build the skill you are exposing yourself to that risk. And when you look through the research in headers, uh, what you do see is that there there's some conflicting reports. Some studies come to the conclusion that this is bad. Mm -hmm. Some say it's not. And uh, I remember during the Olympics, there were some of the women's soccer team uh, members out there saying headers aren't dangerous. Well, they are doing it correctly. They have developed the appropriate skill our younger players may or may not have, and, and that's difficult to police. It's difficult to, to, coach. to mm-hmm. coach, yeah, mm-hmm. because it, you have to expose them in order for them to build the skill. Mm-hmm.
2: In, in addition to that, I think, too, you know, we talk about that younger athlete you made that. It's harder for them to develop that skill, but one of our ri- at-risk populations is a person who's younger. They're also more at risk, so you're kind of coming into a perfect storm there with they're more susceptible... And the potential is there for them not to do, use the technique correctly. So absolutely, right. that's a concern.
3: Because of the developing brain, uh, younger children and adolescents are at a higher risk for concussions, period. And then once they have a concussion, they take longer to heal. And then once they've had one, they're more likely to get another one in the future. Right. So the younger brain is very uh, uh, important in this discussion. Um, when we talk about once you have one, they take longer to heal – and they're usually more serious. Well, that leads us into the discussion of the second impact syndrome, which mm-hmm. is the the scary thing that uh, Zach uh, Lystant uh, suffered. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's. that's so, yeah, with Zach,
1: um, who we talked about at the very beginning of the show, a you know, young man who spent three years, basically, in, in very serious medical shape. I don't know how he is now. What is I,
2: I haven't it? seen any any reports of him lately. I have not seen. The last one that I had kind of seen was around 2010. But he is an advocate. He, will, he does speak mm-hmm. um, out in the communities about, about concussion, concussion management, concussion law, and essentially how, how it's totally changed his life. You can imagine a young man, probably 16 to 18 years old, his life has changed forever, right,
1: and so he was you know he had a concussion, went back in, had another blow to the head and mm-hmm. That,
3: mm-hmm. so there are, oh go ahead and that go ahead. And that second blow may be very slight, mm-hmm. may not be something that you think would be significant at all mm-hmm. uh, the the brain just can 't handle it so
1: yeah well there there are uh, that brings up a, a point about you know how many concussions can somebody have, I know with uh you know with IU football in particular, I know there have been athletes in over time that have had a couple of concussions, and this is just you know local knowledge, I guess, IU football, a couple of concussions, and then they decide they, they can't play anymore because it, it's just too dangerous for them to play. and I know in Major League Baseball, there was a player a year or so ago that ran into a wall and, and missed virtually the whole season. He was a very good player from Minnesota, Justin he, Morneau. right. and he you know he was uh, and he's really never been the same since then.
2: No, so. and I think that's a really important thing. You know, they talk about missing a year's worth of time. A lot of that is related to ongoing symptoms, too. He, he continued to have symptoms with that graduated exertional return to play. And I think your question, and you, know, you talk about local again, this is Austin Collie is okay. the perfect example of this for the Colts. What, where is that? Where is, how many is too much? If he's recovered, goes back, does fine for a while, suffers again. Again, that's one of the things they're looking at in the research right now. They're saying that there is a great potential for that cumulative effect. Even though you're symptom-free, you go back and suffer another one. A lot of the research done there was in in the field of boxing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Muhammad Ali has kind of been – that's been a big question. Was all the blows that he took, was was that now related to some of his Parkinsonian-type traits and those type of things? The jury's frankly out on that still yet. They're, They're looking into that common sense or kind of the instinct is that, yes, the cumulative effect leads to a lot of these neurological disorders later in life. I would think so. Yes. Yeah.
4: The hard part is, and the reason they have a hard time answering that is, number one, you have to follow someone for a very long time. Yeah. But number two, when does the concussion occur? Because, you know, we talked about earlier, the brain changes as we get older. So a concussion in a 20, six or seven-year-old is very, very different than in a 17-year-old. And even a concussion in a, a high school senior is probably vastly different than a concussion in a high school freshman. So you know, we clump all these people together mm-hmm. to make it convenient for research. But now we've introduced some confounding variables uh, that potentially skew the results. Can you say a little bit
1: more about that, uh, about the difference you know, between like a three-year age group? I mean, what would be the difference from a freshman to a to a senior, is it more serious for the freshman, and may take longer to heal than it would be for the senior? Is that it?
4: Yeah, it very well could. I mean, look at the freshmen as they come into high school. When when they report for physicals, they come in as you know this 120, 140 pound soaking wet uh, little uh, little boy. And by the time they graduate, um, they they put on 40 to 50 pounds. Um, their their strength and their speed has grown exponentially. The same thing happens in the brain. It is developing. It is changing. Um, They are learning. And uh, so it's very difficult to compare that 18-year-old senior to the 14-year-old freshman. Okay.
1: All right. We have a phone call, and we have another question that I I want to get to. So the phone call first, it's Don on the phone. Don?
5: I know it might be hard to answer this question. Generally, it would vary from program to program, but is there much pressure from coaches?
2: On the trainers to get players back in when they 've been taken out, especially if it's a critical player like a quarterback
4: yeah, uh, I think if you look historically, there has been pressure um, as we learn more, that pressure is subsiding a bit i I think or at least I hope uh, you know my experience is that coaches are on board they 've seen the effects of concussion they they've seen the bad things that can occur and The more we know, the more coaches work with us and the more they understand that this is not something that they can force through. This is not a a sprained ankle or a a, a shoulder injury that they can tough it out. There is no toughing out a concussion. And so I I think what we are seeing is that as coaches get more educated, we are seeing more of a spirit of cooperation. I don't know if that's occurring everywhere, but I think uh, you know, that tide is definitely going.
2: I think, Don, there are a lot of pressures there, and the coaches are one of them. I think, without a doubt, that's improved. In the time that I've been an athletic trainer, and even over the last three to five years, I think that's definitely improved. I will tell you, though, there are still pockets of that definitely out there where the coach will say, oh, but that's not a concussion. So it's not, yes, if they have a concussion, they're out, but they'll kind of try and steer and say, but that's not a concussion. That's just a, 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 a dinger or getting their bell rung. And there are other pressures that come from parents. We, we've seen that a lot, too, and, and, and uh, other players on the team. You know, that, that's some of the things that, that are barriers for us as clinicians is the teammate will say, don't don't tell them you, you have a headache because we need you in here. Or we've had parents that say, well, my kid wants to get a college scholarship, and so I want them in there, even though they have symptoms. And those are things that that we are constantly dealing with. Certainly now less than we have in years past, but those things do still exist out there. Is,
1: is there also the, the, uh, with parents the idea that if, if the college recruiters find out that my kids had to sit out a couple of times because of concussions, that they might be prone to concussions, and they don't want to recruit that kid anymore.
3: I'm sure that's a factor. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And, and, and I always tell people, um, um, Mahat and I were just
2: exchanging an emails a couple of days ago, and there's an article that talks about the risk of early sports specialization. A little bit different topic, but what they talked about was to go from a high school to a professional football level. Three kids in ten thousand. Make it from high school to professional level. And, and so I always talk about, you know, the concern needs to be health first. The, the statistics are, stis- are very much against someone really going to that level. And even, even in from um, high school to college, I, I don't remember the number exactly, but it's something like 10 in 1,000 or something like that. Make it from the high school mm-hmm. to the collegiate level. So I, I try and just to let people know, you know if your son or daughter is good enough to make it to the next level. We want to make sure they're healthy
1: yeah. and able to participate at the next level. Right. Okay, Don, thanks a lot for the call. Thank you. All right, 855-0811 in Bloomington, 877-285-9348 from outside of the Bloomington area, and you can join us for our live chat, wfiu.org slash noon edition. Uh, We have about six or eight minutes to go, so if you want to get your question in, please do so very soon. Um, I wanted to, before we get away from Austin Colley, some people out there may not know who he is, but he's a wide receiver for the Colts, had a couple serious concussions a year or so ago, I think two, and then um, in the one of the, one of the early season um, exhibition games, he got hit and had to sit out for a while for concussion. but it appears that he 's going to play this weekend is that right That, that seemed kind of incredible to me if this is his third concussion. Does that surprise any of you um, it doesn 't surprise me yeah. at all, and, and I think
2: that that 's something important to talk about when you 're seeing people at the professional level, I think a lot of times um, people want to apply what they see at the professional level to younger athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're at the professional level, again, they're going through those protocols. The NFL has guidelines related to that. And if he is symptom-free and, uh, and if he's met all those requirements, he is cleared to go back. The difference at that level, that's kind of – that's their career. They're adults. Hopefully, they have a support system that's able to help them make that decision risk versus reward of that situation. And and certainly there have been um, many people like Austin Collie who have made the opposite choice in the NFL level. Uh, Chris Dielman, who used Mm -hmm. to play here at IU, made the opposite choice. He suffered concussions, and he said, I've had my years in. I don't feel like that risk is worth the reward that I receive from doing this anymore. Mm -hmm. And and, and I think at the professional level, it's a little bit different. It's up to
1: that athlete and their family to make that decision for themselves. Right. Now, in football, ha- have there been good strides in terms of the the helmets to help uh, uh, or other equipment, and not maybe not just football in all
3: sports, in equipment that helps protect people from concussions? Yeah, I, I, uh. Matt. I'm not sure that uh, it's it's made it to the to the level that you would expect in today's day and age of technology. You know, in soccer they have the halo, uh, uh, so they can wear this band that's padded to help protect against concussions from headers or whatever. And and in football there is some research out there where they're putting sensors in helmets that have, that demonstrate impact and and. Uh, Therefore, athletic trainers get this pager on their waist and says, okay, that person had a hit that was at a concussive level. But the reality is, is that, as we've discussed already, not all concussions are at concussive level hits. And, and, you know, how do you you design something to protect against that whiplash effect? Uh, I think it's very difficult. But there is, I can't speak to the latest research, but I know that there are helmets in development.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's very true in all sports, too. And you look at even a football helmet versus a hockey helmet, how different they are. The sport itself is different, and there's ongoing research in each sport to see if there are ways that they can change it. But I think, I think it's a, it seems so counterintuitive that we, we can't have the technology to do that, but I think there's just so many variables and so many things that are difficult to measure know or developed i 'm sure Scott can speak more to that involved in research a little bit more like he is,
4: yeah, I mean uh, an interesting stat is that we 've learned ninety percent of what we know about concussions in the last eight to ten years, and that knowledge level is going to double in the next eight to ten years and so when you look at equipment manufacturers they 're learning right along with us, and they 're trying to find the the right answers right there with us and the stripes have been met, but you know I agree uh it's not where you would hope that it is i mean it, they're better than they were 10 years ago uh even 5 years ago i think um you know the revolution helmet has been a, a major stride forward um that brand has has really uh demonstrated that it is a little bit better than than previous uh, versions of the football helmet but you know i i'd like to see uh more um more done in that area.
2: And you can imagine how long, like he, like Scott said, 90% of that has been done in the last 10 years. Any product of any type has to go through a process of research and development, mm-hmm. testing, before mm-hmm. it's actually implemented. So even mm-hmm. the stuff that we've dealt with eight years ago is probably the stuff we're just starting to see on the market now. With a lot of this stuff that's changed even the last three to five years, we won't see that manifested until another three to five years, and it will constantly change. We, we're trying to keep up with the research from a product development
3: sure. standpoint. I think what it, boil, what it boils down to is more than protective equipment is proper coaching, proper teaching, proper technique. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, we have just a couple minutes to go, so I want to give each of you the opportunity to sort of give some advice to, you know, to parents or athletes who are out there, you know, parents who have kids who are starting into sports. I mean, what do they need to know? What's the most important thing they need to know about, about making sure that their, their kid is protected from concussions in the – and, and what happens?
2: I, I, for me, I think there's, there's two or three things that I think of right mm-hmm. off the top of my head, and that's ensuring that your coach and or the organization is well-versed and educated about concussion, identification, and management, what the process should be. I think, Two, you need to ensure that those people are, have some sort of medical training, whether it be CPR, first aid training, so they can address something should it occur. I think that you need to make sure that they're, they're following the sport guidelines and teaching correct technique, just as Matt said. That's important in any sport. And thirdly, we talked about the development and the evolution of equipment, but we have the equipment that we have right now. It needs to be fit and used correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I saw a young man in the clinic just the other day who, whose mother I happen to know, and, and just what you said, she was a concerned mom. Uh-huh. You know, what, what do I need to do? So I I brought this young man in, and we we fit his football helmet and shoulder pads for him. Mm -hmm. Um, Because as we know, the the blow can be to the body, not just to the head. Helmet was fit very well. It was very well filled. The shoulder pads left a lot to be desired and how on how we fit those. Yeah. So making sure that I think the equipment that we do have is fit correctly, and I'll leave it up to the other guys okay. if there's anything else. Very quickly, that.
3: Matt. Yeah, I think it's just, you know, making sure that uh, coaches, parents, athletes, and, and the athletic training staff are all on the same page with recognition and proper response at the first symptom. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to help prevent a lot of further. Okay. Last 10 seconds. I yeah. think
4: uh, for me, I would advocate having a uh, uh, a medical team that has a concussion plan, you know, if, if you're dealing with uh, a sport that concussions are a reality, you need to have a plan in place and you need to um, have things thought out on the front end so that you're not having to react. You're, you're proactive as opposed to being reactive.
1: All right. Thanks to Scott Lawrence. That was our last speaker, Matthew Reeves and Scott Schrader. Um, for producers Gretchen Frazee and Julie Raw, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening.